0: Net Richmond. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Trend Talk Show, where industry experts join me to discuss new and emerging trends in their fields. Well, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are joining us from. I'm so excited to be here tonight to be having this discussion. Um, I'm Annette Richmond. This is the Trend Talk Talk Show, and our topic tonight is virtual learning, and I have three experts in the field with me, and... I'm going to have them introduce themselves for anyone who does not know them. So um, Bridget, why don't we start with you and then we'll kind of work our way up and back to me. Sure,
1: I'm Bridget Whitey-Brooks and I am a professional resume writer and the founder of bearesumewriter.com, which is a resource site for professional resume writers.
2: And uh, my name's Adam Weisblatt. I am the founder of Blank Page Learning I've been in the uh, learning business for well over 20 years, and my company focuses on uh, learning strategy for corporate, uh, corporate learning organizations, especially focusing on the technology for platforms and uh, for uh, process optimization.
3: Excellent. My name is Monique St. Paul, and I work for an organization called Community Health Center in the state of Connecticut, but I have been in the L&D field for a few years now. I've been an instructional designer, a facilitator, an adjunct professor, and now I'm working on the admin side of training, and it's been a fun ride, to say the least. Happy to be with you all.
0: Well, again, I am so excited, as I was saying before we went live. I'm always so happy when people that, that don't even know me that well agree to come on the show and talk about, um, you know, something in their field. And so, um, you know, let's just jump right in uh, to the topic of virtual learning. And, you know, I read some some statistics that kind of floored me. And I'm just going to read this. It was from um, Statista, the uh, e- uh, research and market e-learning uh, global report, market report. And it said that um, the e-learning market is expected to grow from one, 176 billion in 2017 to reach 398 billion by 2026, which is like almost four billion dollars which is kind of, I was amazed that it was so big. And um, part of that was because the, uh, you know, people have gone into AI, I'm sorry, not AI, people have gone virtual since the pandemic and people are loving it and staying there because it is more convenient. And I've read some things that, it, you know, people are more productive, um, et cetera. So what do you think first of this growth? Is, is this in line with what you what you think?
2: Yeah, I've to- been hearing numbers like that. Go okay. ahead, Bridget.
1: I, I was going to say the same thing. Um, I saw a statistic just this last week that said it's three hundred and fifteen billion this year. So your figures track with the growth that I've seen as well.
2: Yeah, and they're talking about it going up to four hundred and and something. The um, it 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 does bo- kind of boggle my mind because a lot of uh corporate training groups, you know, always complain about uh, budget cuts and, and things like that, but the um, they keep putting a lot of money into very big technology tools and when you do that, then you've got to have people to, you know, uh, to run those tools and, um, you know, I, this was happening before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, been, I've been working from home since 2013 and working with organizations that you know, did a lot of virtual training um, and there was always a resistance and a, a feeling like, well, this is not really the, that important. It's a nice to have. And suddenly after the pandemic it was no longer a nice to have, it was an absolute necessity. So the groups that were doing it already were ahead of the game. And now everyone's just, you know, has played catch up actually pretty well. They, everyone just jumped in because the technology was ready.
3: Mm-hmm. And I i would say I'm certainly not surprised at it, if for any other reason, uh, it allows people to do training asynchronously, which is really helpful depending on how flexible your your work schedules are, and people can do it when they want to, and also allows for personalized learning. So if you only have three people on your team that want to learn something, you could probably buy something out of the box uh, for e-learning that is available to you, as opposed to having someone come in to speak to your folks. I think it's... Uh, it's interesting because where I work now, all, almost all of our trainings are live. And so, <laughs> but that's a little bit different on a virtual platform. You use Zoom often, but generally the presenter is there in live time versus doing something just as e-learning.
0: So for, for people who don't know what, what that is, can you expand a little bit on what asynchronous learning is?
3: Sure. Uh, when you're able to do it, um, not all together, I guess is the easiest way. Okay. It's a long word for no reason. Um, <laughs> but you can do it on demand, uh, mm-hmm. is really the way that I would describe it to folks.
0: Okay, cool. Um, So, you know, one of the things that, um, that the, when I was doing my research, they were talking a lot about was the idea of, oh, collaboration and, you know, um, and, and I will say that um, I was in a, uh, a master's program. It was an online only master's program. And then we're going back like 20 years. And as far as the collaboration, um, you know, we would meet, on a, you know, we'd have like a phone call once a week to work on our teams, but we did have a lot of, um, you know, sort of the message lines or message, you know, discussion things. Now, I'm sure that uh, things have changed since then. So can, can you share a little bit about what, what does collaboration mean today with e-learning?
2: Well, it's interesting because what you were describing happens in academia right, mm-hmm. the, um, you know, that it's been going on for years with and uh, it started venturing out of academia with these massive online uh, courses that were made available to the to the public where you could, you know, spend three months and be on, on a class with people from around the world. And you would use those message boards, you would use, you know, mm-hmm. uh, shared documents and so on. But in corporate learning, they haven't really, they weren't really doing that much in corporate learning, virtual just meant that you just showed up like we are right here and mm-hmm. and uh listened to a professor or you did the asynchronous you know like monique was talking about where you know on your own time you just ran a uh, learning module but now they're starting to talk about bringing those tools from the academic academic uh virtual and they call it cohort learning so okay. a cohort a cohort program is where you'd have a group of people who would take a, a course together and work on projects together you know now that you have the ability to share documents you know on all these platforms it's mm-hmm. a lot easier than it was in the past so instead of a semester it's a cohort and that's like the corporate
0: name for semester or whatever so so i do want to ask um you know uh, your all of your thoughts on this but bridget i know that when you do online uh, learning, because you do a lot of online uh, courses, and you incorporate um, group meetings with that. So is that something um, where where kind of where does that come from? and are the people doing that as well? That it
1: tracks exactly with what, what with what we were just talking about, where there's different types of even individual learning where you can uh, you know do self-paced like Monique was talking about or cohort based. Where you're doing it with a group. And it really is such an interesting thing to look at because people have different individual learning styles. And we were talking about, you know, academia for years. I'm I graduated from college 27 years ago, and you showed up in a classroom at you know a particular time and everybody was on the same path. And I think we've learned that people have different learning styles and they learn at different paces. And it's just so exciting to see. This development finally catch up to that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think academia has changed all that much. I got my degree in <laughs> twenty twenty one, and I I did an <laughs> online program, and I was actually surprised how close I felt to my university. I think they did a phenomenal job both for. The students within the individual class, but also connecting us to what was going on on campus. And to your point, Annette, it's definitely still a lot of making sure that you message by a certain time. They're very structured with when you were supposed to have it done by, comment on other people's responses by this time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but so there's that version of it, but to Adam's point about cohort learning, For our organizations, we have postdoc residents that come in and we also have doctoral students that come in and we consider that a cohort. And when, you know, they all learn together, they all come in together. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is for HR um, professionals. When you start with orientation, you're all part of different departments and other things. And you all sit there in the same room and sort of have these conversations. And why not make that a cohort? If you all started the same day and started to do that, move them through together. Let them learn together. What did you learn about your department? That's an easier way to go about it. You're all new. You're all fresh. Get together maybe once a month or whatever to sort of understand and learn a little bit about the organization without trying to get people who are experts already to take time out of their day. Instead, try to learn it as a group. And then that way, you guys are sort of starting at the same point.
0: And, and so it, it it sounds like you all see a real benefit of having that sort of cohort experience. And it, it sounds like that. But I, I also am curious, how did the university make you feel close to them beyond, you know, more so than just within the class?
3: I think because they stayed connected with us. I mean, they, they called us, which is interesting enough, uh, actually okay. on the phone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, that's just unusual.
3: Yeah, they invited you to other things that were happening on campus. You knew who your professors were. So they tried to get you engaged and involved in that way. And I think just in general, because we we're all part of the same program, you started mm-hmm. to see the same faces. And so you started to go, well, did you take this professor yet? Or what order should I take this in? And so I think some of it was the cohort, but also it was just the school. I think I was able to go and visit live in person more than once to to meet my professor so I think that was partly me I'm one of those people who insist on talking to people even if you don't Uh want me to uh and I like to bring that into folks and then connect others as I can
0: you know it's 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 interesting that you mentioned that because when I was in that program um the requirement with the first class you had to spend a week on campus and that way you got to meet everyone and, and you went through the studies but um Adam it looked like you were about to say something
2: I was, I was just going to say that um, Udemy and uh, Coursera, who are companies that kind of bring that um, academic model out to the public, uh, have done lots of studies where they say that you are more likely to finish a course that you signed up for if you've signed up with somebody else. And I oh, think wow. so that connection with other people is really critical.
3: Yeah. And, I was going to say, even to that, I've taken Udemy courses where the instructor always says, please feel free to reach out to me. You know, email me if you have a question. It all shows up there. And I'm one of those people who actually takes advantage of that. (laughs) Just, Mm -hmm. I don't know you, but I took your course and I really liked it. And so I think trying to always give people access to you, even if it's something where you're not live, is really Mm -hmm. important. And I met at a networking event. That's how I ended up here. It's one of those things of, like, keep in your mind who might be helpful or what you might've seen and just say good job or whatever, just to yeah. stay connected. I think.
0: I, I'm sure they really appreciate it. I have a, a good friend, somebody actually I went to high school with and she teaches a lot of, um, online. Uh, she said it was an English master's in English and all that. And she teaches online courses. Um, and she really enjoys the, you know, the interaction with the students. So I'm sure they really, really appreciate it. So I'd like to now turn to, um, the whole idea of gamification. And, you know, when I when I first heard gamification, I was like, oh, OK, that sounds like something kind of like, you know, really new and modern. And it turns out that it could be anything from, you know, getting points or rewards or, you know, things like that, some bonus points for for uh, doing something. Um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting was the idea of having sort of um uh, com- people competing, you know, for quizzes like the timed quiz, and I guess who takes it faster and does the best gets, I don't know, a reward or a prize or, or something like that. Um, and I was reading um, part of this uh, buyer behavior report from um, G Two, uh, which is a software marketplace where people can read and uh, provide software reviews. And they were saying, um, based on the reviews, they see that um, most of the online platforms have added some kind of a gaming, um, you know, feature uh, to the learning style. But that even despite this, that that the users um, are asking, they want more. So tell me more. Tell me more about, you know, what really what really is it? Is it as simple as just giving some points or is it? you know, can it be more, more engaging? Cause I don't know, that doesn't sound as engaging to me
3: though. So. I, I would say it's not engaging if you're not a competitive person, which I am not. And uh, if, you're a sore, yeah, if you're a sore loser, <laughs> like I am and I'm at the bottom of a leaderboard, then it's sort of pointless that I don't care anymore. So point so points and badges, I don't think are the things that motivate people and some of the things that people both in L&D and outside of l and I think, focus on, but that's not in my opinion what gamification is. Okay. And I would also say, so someone like an industry expert would be called Cap. Um, Rachel Arpin is known for doing escape rooms. It, I think it's more, it's building it into the story. It, it's okay. about making it sort of an an adventure and experience and that is part of the game it's not just saying here it points to it it's making you sort of the hero to the story and what's going on and then help you kind of sort of problem solve as you go through and it doesn't seem like learning it's just a way to be involved in it and understand sort of the content it's a different way to approach it but i don't think it's just competition that, that that's not why people enjoy it but happy to hear what others think so,
0: so i but I, I would like to ask you to expand on that and as you're saying that sure. it's making me think about probably way off base but it's making me think of the idea where um they have um you know sort of murder mystery things and you go with a group and you're in there and you all kind of solve the murder mystery together and that's That's just what first came into my mind. Now I'm guessing that's not relational to that, but can you expand on what that is? No,
3: I think it is relational to that. If if you can create something like that, and it has to be relevant to the content that you're doing it for, but trying to think about it again, I've done, not me. I've been part of things like scavenger hunts. It's silly, but it's a way to sort of get people involved. And now they're focusing on what's going on. How many do you have going on? And, And you're really engaging, I think, with the content more, as opposed to just give me information, I'll take the quiz at the end, and I'm done.
0: It sounds like fun to me. Go ahead, Bridget.
1: Engagement is exactly the word that I thought of, and I'm glad you brought that up, Monique, because I'm thinking from a professional development side of things. I've been to a couple of professional conferences, some of them with you, Annette, where (laughs) they've had, um, you know, the idea of the scavenger hunt to get people more engaged with one another but even some of the online professional development that I've done they've done leaderboards and you get points for completing certain activities so I think it's a way to engage folks in that virtual learning more than a competition it's more of you know competing with yourself sometimes okay
2: that was a good point to keep competing with yourself because I think that's a lot of what it's about I think the way they get the engagement is that suddenly, if there's some, you know, a, a, a you know levels you have to go through that um, that you uh, feel there's something at stake, you pay attention a little more. And so it's really just to kind of get people more alert. And people, you know, Monique, you mentioned Carl Cap. You know, they they always try to make a distinction that. Game is, you know, competition where there's, you know, a a score and a winner and so on. Gamification is where you take the dynamics that work well in games and reapply them to other situations, you know, in learning in this case. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. You know, it's funny too cuz when I see I was reading about leaderboards and I was thinking of um of my Peloton. I have a Peloton and when you're on the bike, you know, you're on the leaderboard and you can see, you know, who's there now and I'm always alone because I ride on demand, but you can see the the all-time leaderboard and and you're right like for me, I mean, I am competitive, but you know, for me I look at it and I say, "Oh, okay. So I'm I'm pretty good considering there are you know, like 30 people in their thirties and forties even that are, you know, below me on the all time leaderboard. And it just kind of makes me feel good. So I don't know. I, I, but I think whenever you can get fun into anything, it makes it better.
3: But I think to Bridget's point about sort of challenging yourself, it's like having a streak. I know people do it for Duolingo, I think. And there are other things where you did this for eight consecutive days. Don't miss it. Make sure you do it. Like, that probably is going to make me more likely to do it. Or if you set the goal of doing it two times a week and you do it three, wow, you're really on top of it. Can you do an extra one? That kind of stuff. Because you're really not competing. It's really more just encouraging you to do something you already enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Every time that I, I go to yoga, I remind myself, like, you do you actually like exercise? Like, once you get me to go. Yeah. And, and that's sort of a reminder to yourself of like, okay, I've done this before. I do enjoy it. I want to keep doing more of it. And then, you know, to Adam's point before, if you, if you have someone else who's doing it with you, that certainly helps to sort of push you in the right direction, even if they're not competing with you, just someone else to walk in the door to help you get over that in, um, initial inertia.
2: And Monique, well, you had mentioned before, kind of, or maybe Bridget, you mentioned it uh, about it being part of a story. I think that's where it really works best when, when you, you make your involvement, you know, the, the participants involvement, part of the story of uh, this, you know, learning process, this learning experience. I think that's what really gets people, you know, plugged in.
3: Yeah.
1: And, yeah, well, like Adam was talking about, too, it's that personal motivation piece of it. And that's especially important when it is asynchronous learning, when you're going through self-paced material, having some way of motivating yourself is critical to you know sticking with it and and staying with the the goal so for example gamification where they have to complete a quiz before they can move on to the next module you're again competing with yourself you want to get to that next module you have to demonstrate mastery of it but that's just a little piece anything we can do to help people you know stick with learning is an important thing Uh, so you know there's different ways of doing that obviously
0: you know, I I, I think it's it's so funny because um you know for me I was one of those people that I went to college um you know later and I worked full time through all of my college years and so I really really wanted to be there. I have taught college courses where you know the people just really did not care if they were there or not; they'd rather be someplace else. And I I think of this um, this video that I've I've seen often you know on TikTok is. Uh, you know, when they're talking to the teachers and they say, OK, they're hiring the teacher, they say, OK, so you're going to teach students math. And, they, and the person says, oh, OK, do they want to learn math? and They're like, no, they don't want to learn it. You have to make them want to learn it. And, it, you know, so I, I guess that because um, I know we're talking really about adult learning, but I know they do um, some of this for uh, in, in schools as well. Uh, and I, I remember those days when I was learning stuff that I was really not wanting to. But um, I want to switch over now and talk a little bit about um, mobile and micro learning. And as as I read, um, mobile is kind of like it serves um, the content to users when they want it. And they mentioned like salespeople, and I would, and so I was thinking of a salesperson out in the field, and they want to go, and they they're able to search and get the information that they want. Um, and they said that both of these um, have search functions and use mixed media formats. And then the micro learning was um, bite sized nuggets that were sort of complete. In- in- and, you know, one of the reasons that the, the um, what I read attributed to. This mobile learning being so popular is the fact that, um, according to Pew Research, 85% of Americans own a smartphone. So it's like, oh, okay. Um, And, you know, um, and I also read, according to um, Statistica, that education is the third most popular category in the app store, which I found was really surprising to me um, because there's like so many other things to do. Now, I can't imagine taking a course on my phone so why don't you all explain to me why this is why this is good and why people like it and and, and a better explanation of what it actually is
2: <laughs> The micro and the and the <clears throat> mobile are related to each other kind of by cause and effect so they' they're two separate things mobile really means that, you're not limited to where you are to be able to learn you could be you know learning can be anywhere and micro means that you're not tied down to these big long courses uh you can get something fast enough to to access you know in the middle of what you have to do you're either traveling or working but uh you really wouldn't be able to have mobile without micro because nobody like you said would sit on a on a three hour course on a on a a, uh, a smartphone so that's that's sort of the distinction between them but the um you know mobile can be a lot of different things it could be text messages it could be like you said apps or um uh even virtual reality because i have somewhere a virtual reality goggle that actually snaps onto your phone um So, you know, it can be done in a lot of different ways, whereas uh, micro learning is really about the size and the accessibility, like how fast can I get to this information and then get back to what I was doing.
1: And I'm thinking professional development wise, because, again, that's kind of the the framework that I come from. And a lot of times if I'm watching uh, something for professional development, I'm watching it on an iPad, which of course isn't my phone, but it's also not my laptop. And again, it just gives me a little bit more portability. Um, I'm not sitting at my desk usually when I'm doing that. I'm moving around or you know doing other things. And so I think it's that idea of uh, the portable more than um, you know the the content itself. It's just that you can access it anywhere and and any anytime you want.
3: I think part of the reason that has risen is partly for people who are desk deskless workers. There we go. I can get it out. Uh, and I work with people who are in healthcare, both in the past and now, they're not sitting at their desk for most of the, t- of the day. And so some of that is just the ability to have it on their phone, or if you are someone who works in a warehouse, again, you're not, you're not sitting in front of a computer all day to do it, so they needed to have or create. A different way for people to access that information. So, like you said, on an iPad is fine, or while they're working on a forklift, uh, something like that. And then for the micro learning version of it, I always think of it as how much time do you have? I love when things tell me, if you have 15 minutes, you can do this much. If you have, you know, 10 minutes, you can do this much. And I'm like, okay, I can kill 10 minutes. Like, that's fine. And then you find yourself continuing on even after that.
2: I I think the a killer app for mobile is uh podcasts because you know, we've all been trying to figure when this first started, a lot of people were like, okay, we'll just take e-learning or PowerPoint and just squeeze it in, you know, squeeze it so that it fits on a on a, a smartphone, but that's not really very practical. Whereas a podcast is I think people are more comfortable like like you were saying, Bridget, being able to walk around with your iPad with your you know, your headset in. Another use for it is um, like, uh, Monique, you said the, about, uh, you know, you've got a forklift driver and they've got to learn the latest safety protocol. You could have a, a device actually on the forklift or you could have a, a QR code on the forklift that and if you don't open up that course and do the safety protocol training, you can't start the engine. It's like it's tied to the, to the actual device.
3: Yeah. Oh, Annette, we can't hear you. Annette.
0: I was hearing some feedback. I wanted to make sure it wasn't like here's something uh, where it's like moving around. I can hear the some some kind of feedback. But um I so so explain to me if I'm if I'm um someone in healthcare and maybe I'm going from, you know, assisted living facility, you know, different facilities or something like that so how does how does the the mobile how does that benefit me I mean does it help me if I'm trying to figure out um you know a certain dose for something or I mean how how do, how does that work for me
3: I mean it certainly could be something that you could do for dosage I know there are some apps that are available for you if you needed to do that but I think really more of it is just that you can do it on the go in between appointments so if you're traveling and it you thought it was going to take you half an hour and only took you 10 minutes. You have 20 minutes to kill to do that learning without having to go back into the office.
0: Okay. So it's like, instead of me carrying a book with me or, you know, being on my phone, checking out, checking LinkedIn, I can be learning on my phone. You could be. Okay. And I was,
1: th- I was even thinking too, with Adam, that idea, the QR code on the forklift, which hopefully they're not operating it while they're doing this but um that idea of you know having a qr code that is the operator's manual like hey if you don't know how to do this particular thing you can scan it on your phone and get access to the the manual
2: yeah I, I always think of qr codes as a search engine in the world right you're walking around the world and and you come across you you need to get to 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 a website to understand what you're doing, and maybe you're in a museum and you want to get some background information, a QR code gets you to the webpage that you need to access what's happening in real life. And, and
0: so I, I would imagine then, um, say if I'm a, a you know, regional manager or something, that I would want to have my team, if they're out in the field, have access to something like this because that way they're getting the correct information and not necessarily maybe looking on Google for, for information, but getting the information we want them to have. Is that yeah.
2: correct? Yeah, the pharmaceutical companies really, you know, have this down. They 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 all get the um, you know the iPads because when they go in to see a doctor they have a very short amount of time. They've, and they have to give them a lot of information and it's got to be accurate information about the medicine. So they've got it all on their, their iPad. But since they're there already and have the iPad to show the doctor, why not before they get into, you know, they're waiting in the waiting room, like waiting for the doctor to be free. Why don't they like, you know, uh, learn a a little extra information about how to be a better salesperson before they go in.
0: Okay. 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 It, it sounds it sounds interesting. It, it doesn't sound as fun as as like you know having having you know doing some kind of a story or game. But but I do want to ask about something that I I'm I'm really curious about. I know nothing about this. Um, and Monique, I mentioned you know before we before we started that you have experience in this area. And you know I'm I'm sure there are will be other thoughts as well. But the whole idea of virtual and augmented reality technologies being used create sort of immersive experiences, and so if you can tell me a little bit, it says uh, students interact with digital objects and environments, and. So, you know, my thinking is thinking that oh, I'm going to, you know, somehow if I'm studying history I can be immersed in, you know, the the pilgrims or something like that to learn about that. But but tell me what what is that? How does it work? It it sounds like really cool to me, but obviously I don't know anything about it.
3: One of the cooler things that I've seen for augmented reality was about sort of flood awareness in a in a third world country and so instead of having something like uh, tornado drills they had to think about what if this room was filled with water what would you do and so using their phone augmented they could see the room starting to fill and things starting to float and then walking around and like how would I get around it how would I exit like and it gives you sort of that stress of oh you know it's starting to get to the point of my shoulders and I may not be able to Swim, or I may not be able to go. Like, what is the next place to do it? So, it was a way to really help people in disaster training, is a lot of what I hear that works best for. Okay. Um, that's what I've sort of seen it for, which has been very helpful. Um, virtual reality, same thing, typically has been in the medical field where it's been most used medical and or government so government like fight flight simulations and things like Mm -hmm. that and for medical things like working on a body you may only work with a cadaver once in your time but in virtual reality you can create that sort of muscle memory by doing it very similar to the way that you would do it in real life particularly if you have something like haptic gloves that you can put in your hands where you can actually move your hands as opposed to using Mm -hmm. controllers where you're just using your thumbs and those are i think the two that i've seen that have the most application anyway, though there are different ways that different companies have used it. Those are the ones that I think I could totally see that working for someone.
0: Okay, other thoughts?
2: um, Right before the the pandemic, there had been a lot of studies taking place about um, uh, onboarding, uh, new hire onboarding training that if that was not done well, the chance of the person leaving the job, you know, within the first three years was much higher than if the onboarding was good. Because that onboarding, is like you, you said, it's, it's the time when you're really getting to connect with everybody in the company and feel like you belong. And if that doesn't go well, you don't feel like you belong, you're looking for the exits. Then comes the pandemic and nobody can get together for onboarding because onboarding mm-hmm. used to be this very expensive you know, arrangement, you get the hotel rooms, you fly people in from all over the country, you know, and it, it, it was uh, used to be very in in big companies, a very involved thing. Suddenly they couldn't do it anymore. And there was a fear. What, you know, what if we lose that camaraderie? Mm-hmm. And I have a, a, a friend who has developed these virtual worlds. Um, they're these Basically, big like almost like conference rooms or or you know conference centers, ballrooms, uh, virtual you know um, uh, lobbies, where all the people in a cohort uh, for new hire training will get together and they'll actually be able to play basketball like with their with their goggles on, you know with their VR goggles on, cool. like running around and tossing baskets, and everyone says, "Oh, that seems a little, uh, I don't know." It seems a little trite, or, or or a little gimmicky, to be you know sending these goggles all around the world and paying this money for it. What do they cost? Like three hundred dollars, well, maybe two hundred now, and uh, and you're having them play basketball, but it's so that people can actually talk to each other mm-hmm. and and have you know start building these relationships so it's 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 another use for virtual reality. I've also seen where on augmented reality, which they they believe is going to be as big or bigger for learning and the difference between virtual and augmented virtual is you're inside the world augmented means you're adding to the world you're looking through your your phone and you see it your you see your camera showing the world. But it's adding extra things. Um, the most okay. famous one is Pokemon Go. The kids see Pokemon all over the. All oh over
0: yeah, the yeah, place. I remember. Is, yeah, that's still is that still a thing?
2: Uh, I don't know. It uh, is. It is <laughs> yeah, okay.
0: yeah I, re- I remember. I remember doing that, and they they do that actually. If you you can do like a, um, if you're on TikTok, they have features where you can you know put your camera and pull up uh, somebody dancing or dancing Santa or something like that. So it's really kind of interesting. Bridget, it looked like you were going to say something. Well, again, just tying into what what you're
1: talking about, uh, Adam, especially when you're talking about that virtual lobby concept, um, again, great application for onboarding, but I've also seen that with professional development in particular conferences where they had these lobbies where you would gather virtually and could interact with other folks. And again, we were talking before we started recording about, you know, how nice it is to hang out with other people um, for folks that are working from home, I could see that being something that um, grows. There was just something this last week about uh, a woman who does like, it's not co-working, but it's, there's a word for it where she is on her computer and people just show up and work alongside with her virtually. And I could see the application of that with, uh, you know, all of these technologies that we're talking about.
0: Wow. You know, as you're talking about this, it makes me think, and I know this is a bit off topic, but- The idea of, you know, I know there's a lot of discussion and I've had friends who have been, you know, remote workers. And particularly if you are new to a company, as I had friends during the pandemic who, you know, they've never got to meet people, that if you had something like this, it can keep you in touch with people in your office so that you are not only that you see them, but that you are seen. Because, you know, when you're remote. People tend to think about you. So, is that something that that um, is is being used? So stuff like that.
3: I think it certainly can be. The job that I had prior to this was completely virtual. None of the team was in the same state, really. I so we all met on line that way. And one of the things that we did was if we did sort of these lunch and learns, and, and that's only if you wanted to. They were optional. And you Mm -hmm. could just talk about a skill that you cared about. So if I was an instructional designer and I wanted to teach you beyond and you had nothing to do with animation or anything like that, you could just come learn about it and just understand how those things were about and share sort of your expertise and how you might use it. We had someone who was our visual sort of developer And he was really into things like Blender and changing the way music goes on. And I don't know all the names of all of it, but it was really cool to see sort of the way that he came up with it. And that's a way to get to learn about people and learn what they're doing. And I Uh think particularly if that person is a SME, it's very helpful to see what kind of goes on behind the scenes to see... To better understand how you can work with them so again my my work prior to lnd was in marketing and having to explain what i wanted to a graphic designer when i'm not doing the work and understanding their system for doing it and how they do it helps a lot because i know to them it's not just an inch or it's not just a box it's you know unlinking 16 boxes that are connected to each other and having that sort of connection with them but then adam's point of sort of getting into virtual reality and doing basketball or whatever we did stuff like that as well, where we would just play games, and everybody had a turn. You know, choose a game that you want to play, and sometimes it was things that was just you could use with your web browser. Other things that so you were in your headset, and I think it's just a way to really just to hang out with people in an environment that isn't evaluative. evaluative. There we go. Wow,
0: yeah, okay. yeah. See, I I love that. I just do want to say hello to um, some friends that that we have in the audience. Um, Claire is here. Claire Davis. Hello, Claire. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And my buddy Dan Roth is here. Thank you so much, too, for popping by. He says hello to Claire. I love when people are networking in the comments. And uh, my buddy Sarah is joining us from Colorado Springs. So uh, it's uh, great, great, great for Great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. So um so I I do want to, oh, and all right, oh, I must say hello to Felipe. Okay, we can't move on. So before we say hello to Felipe, so uh thanks for joining us. Um so one of the things that that um I think is interesting, and and I was talking to recruiters about this um in in January um, during a show like this. We were talking about AI feedback. And Um, i know just a little bit about that um i know that linkedin um has their job section and you can go like you can i can go in there and i can answer interview questions i can record myself answering the questions and um i can get ai feedback and so you know i tried that so i could share it with the, the people i work with and you know afterwards it it so you know my pace was good and my you know mix of uh of tone was good um but i yeah was flagged for using filler words because i say um a lot and so they they picked it but i thought that was you know really um helpful and and i just will mention for anyone who is listening that um that is something that anyone any linkedin member can use but you do need to have a premium account in order to um, get that AI feedback. But, um, you know, I thought that was very helpful and I would think something like that would be, you know, if you have a job interview and you just need need to practice a little bit to have that. But, um, so how does that work in, in learning and, and, you know, kind of what do they do with that that's really good and what is done with that that's not so good?
2: There's so many aspects. I know. Um, I'm
0: thinking through. <laughs> we have a little time, so yeah. Pick pick one. The, and then so there's yeah there, a there, there,
2: There's a lot of different aspects. There's basically, if you think of AI as, you know, the ability to kind of what I call hyper guessing. You know, they've got it, the AI programs are using such large databases of human interaction. Everything that's ever been said on the internet is in some database. And the AIs can have so much data that they can predict what people say. If you wanna see that work, open up your phone and, and start typing and watch as the words come up because it, it it knows what your next word is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you apply that to learning, there's a lot of different places for it, right? If you look at skills, you know being able to attach people to the skills they need being able to attach skills to the to the learning that that provides it for creating learning content uh, if you want to make customized learning content the the biggest drawback is just having enough hands and having enough people to create that content now you have chat GPT that can create the content I know that might freak a lot of people out but it it's not going to do the whole job for you it's really just you know helping you generate the the quantity there's a lot of other ways it works you know for it could be used for adaptive adaptive learning it's just there's so many different applications but it's all in the early days everyone keeps you know ai has been around since the six you know since the 50s and 60s, but it's moved so slow, and then it all of a sudden has these rapid jumps, and everyone goes, "Oh my god, it's happening!" <laughs> and then it moves really slow for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Bridget, you're nodding your head. What What are your thoughts on this? Well, like I said, there's so many things
1: to consider. One that I was thinking about from the virtual learning side of things is automated assessments. You know, putting people through a process, and then the AI determines you know where they're strong and where they're weak and potentially identify, to, you know, then what the next step could be to bringing that, you know, skill, up-leveling that skill. So I think that there's so many possibilities, like Adam said, you know, it moves fast, but it moves slow. Um, I think that we'll continue to see that evolve. But taking the human piece out of that assessment um, to eliminate bias and, and that sort of thing, I think, is a real opportunity.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going to answer your question, but I'm going to give you a resource anyway. Okay. In that, if you want to practice public speaking toastmasters is the way to go I'm a big toastmaster nerd and I've been part of my local club for many years so if you want things like tone and speed and the way that you're you know you're using gestures and filler words etc that is a way that you can practice that is relatively cost effective depending on naturally your budget but you can go to a club go for free for once or twice just to sort of understand and get an understanding of it and it's a great way to do impromptu speaking as well that or i would say encourage people to do improv because that's another good way to start speaking in a way that you're not necessarily comfortable with but you're mm-hmm. also getting feedback on so that was my two cents oh, on that oh
0: a- absolutely i have a, i have a couple of friends who are real um toastmasters, uh devotees mm-hmm. uh, who have gone on and on i've done toastmasters myself so so i know it really can be um you know, very, very helpful. And um I want to mention um my buddy Felipe says that, you know, chat GPT is just a tool that needs a human to review, but it can help people in so many ways. And um, you know, I I agree with that in the sense that I use it I use it a lot um for brainstorming. And if I'm wanting to host a show on a topic, I may put, you know, give me 10 trends in whatever. And then I look through there and I always will find one or two things that I just didn't think of at the time. And then of course I do my research and I want to, you know, I want to learn more about it. I'm not going to just go by what I get from that, but um I do find that helpful. So I do want to ask you something and I'm not sure how this could be how this could be used in in learn in learning or if it can at all. And um I mentioned something to you before we went live that my um my friend Paula was telling me about um, this um, AI um, interviewing. And she told me, and you know, I, I'm not going to be um, as uh, on target with this as she was, but the general idea is that they um, have people in the company um, do assessments, answer interview questions, a few things like that. Um, They record them and they they choose a variety of people, maybe some people that are superstars, some people that are kind of, you know, just doing a good job and some people that maybe are not doing um, as well. And if I come in for a job interview, um, they are going to take what I what I do and um, sort of the AI measure me against other people that are already there to see where I might fall. in in the category, you know, as an employee, if I, you know, appear that I would be a superstar, maybe, or maybe, you know, just not a good fit. Um, Is anything like that done with learning? Is there any way, um, you know, not to be judging people, but is there, can that be incorporated in learning in some way, do you think?
2: I've heard about it being done with sales. You know, you, you go on a, on a um, online you record a, a sales pitch and okay. then that's that's compared to other people the, the part of that that makes me a little nervous is is not the ai in itself but the size of the sample data because okay. if it's not big enough then you know a lot of you know um, you can't really say ai's have bias but there's a bias in the data yeah, where yeah. where there's not enough variation in the data to you know to accommodate for all the different you know ways people speak and so on. Um, yeah. so that would be my only concern. But I I definitely have heard it done in yeah. in the sales arena.
0: That that's what she was saying because you know this is something she just introduced to me. I had never heard of, but she's she's done um study in that area. And um, she said that there is, you know, um, pros and cons, a lot of thoughts on both sides of that moving forward. So we are getting close to the end of our time now. Um, And I always like to ask because I brought up a bunch of things. We've talked about a lot of different topics and I've learned some stuff tonight, but I'd like you to each share um, something maybe that, you know, we haven't talked about that you think is important um, for people to know. And then, you know, where people can find you if it's on LinkedIn or if you connect with them on LinkedIn or whatever you would like to share. So let's go in reverse. Why do we start with you, Monique, and then um, Adam and then Bridget, and then come back to me to
3: close it out. Oh, there are so many things we've talked about that. <laughs> I know, I know,
0: but there's always something more that you can add.
3: I'm sure. I'm like grasping at straws to think about what I would include and sort of what we had there. Um, The one thing we didn't mention is naturally the the metaverse, but it's not an area that's explored enough. I don't really know if it's going to take off. I would suspect it would not. But that's an area. What I would say really to folks in general is if there's something that you're interested in, try to learn as much about it as you can. Uh, There's no hurt. And just trying to figure it out, talk to experts who are doing it, try to figure it out yourself. You're not getting graded for it and you never know it might help you in the future. So those are my last parting words.
0: Okay.
2: For me, I, um, you know, I've, I've been in this a long time and, and I, I I call myself a geek wannabe. I, I know enough technology to get excited about all these, you know, very, uh, edgy kind of you know flashy things but then when it really comes down to it the thing i'm most interested in is the people who do this work and i work with a lot of training groups a lot of a lot of learning organizations especially in their operations because those are the people who are pulling all the levers on on these big learning platforms and they struggle so much because there's such a demand for more and more and more content and yet their processes are are not you know efficient enough to keep up, and so they're scrambling around making all these sort of like little back end spreadsheets and you know just grabbing whatever tool they can to to try to work and they really they want to help people they want people to learn, and they're they're just having a rough time and there's this new class of tools that are coming out called either no code or low code tools they're sort of spreadsheets on steroids. They, um, they let you do what a programmer would have had to do in the past, but you can do without having to know any programming to make your systems a little more efficient. So when the learning management system can do this much and the learning experience platform can do that much and there's a gap in between, these tools can fill that gap. But I think that's, even though it's not as sexy as, you know, putting on a virtual reality thing and playing basketball, it's it's something that can really help people in, in their day-to-day job and that, that kind of stuff excites me.
0: Okay. sounds
1: cool. And Annette, this has just been such a fascinating discussion and so many different pieces of it. The takeaway for me, I think is that, you know, even the more things change, the more they stay the same. People are still hiring people. There's still a need to be a lifelong learner, no matter what that looks like, whether it's, you know, the formal classroom going back to school remotely or in person, uh, you know, continuing education, all of those different components of being a lifelong learner um, have really added to that growth, that $400 billion that we're going to (laughs) get to, you know, it's coming from somewhere. And I think, you know, having graduated 27 years ago and all the skills that I learned back then becoming completely obsolete you know during the those intervening times i think it's more important than ever that people look for opportunities to continue to learn whether that's you know through the the virtual reality or or the uh you know in person conference or whatever it is so i think that that like i said is the biggest takeaway for me is just it's exciting to see what's going to happen and a little bit scary but the principle behind it is the same you can't
0: stay where you are and get where you want to go yeah Oh, I, I I love that, and I am completely sold. If if I was uh, independently wealthy, I'd be in school somewhere. I'd probably go over in London studying Shakespeare or something. So, I I hear you, and uh, you know it it is. Um, there's there's always something. What if you don't learn? If you don't grow, you don't grow. So um, so I I love that. I think it's a great um, point to end our discussion on. And again, I thank you so much for being here and sharing your insights. Um, I am so appreciative. And for everyone who has joined us uh, live or will be watching on the replay or listening on my podcast, um, thanks so much for joining us as well. So uh, have a great rest of your day or rest of your evening if you're over on the East Coast like me. Good night now. Thank you again for joining me for this episode of the Trend Talk Show. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please subscribe.